Hello, this is Timeboxing, a podcast about creativity, productivity, and sanity. I'm Carl Sandral, a composer and music producer in Little Armenia, East Hollywood, California. I'm recording this voiceover 30 minutes after finishing Battlestar Galactica for the first time. That is the 2004 version. So I pretty much have no feelings left, <laughs> but... Uh, Yeah, what a cool and emotionally satisfying show. Um, Well, except for some of those truly awful episodes in season three, Susan and Aaron, you were totally right. But in general, if that show does not make you cry, I don't think I can trust you. I also saw Under the Skin last night, so now I'm permanently creeped out, but certainly a really well-made and uniquely unsettling film with cool music. This month, I've been recording voiceover doing mixing and sound design for my friends at Glue Studios. I couldn't put their animation in this mp3, but I can narrate you through it. Picture some sort of iPad, and now it's changed into a triangle with different devices. Now now it's more like a jungle gym with devices at each point, now they're all expanding. Fall off the screen and a series of color bars go back. An elevator ascends into the clouds, there's a video game in the background. There's a triangle guy, he's jumping to a ledge, and jumping to another ledge, and another ledge. Yeah, he's, he's very good at this. It says success. Then, a bunch of other stuff happens. Whoa. Hey, wake up. Thank you guys so much who have been sharing this podcast as well as leaving reviews in iTunes or giving it a star rating. If you do like the show and want to help more people find it, writing a little iTunes review works wonders. Today, my guest is Sam Reich, who runs video for College Humor. But first, with feeling. Look at this. My neighbor is a sweet lady that I mostly know from a very distinctive noise I usually hear through the window a couple times each morning. We live in adjacent bungalows. It pretty much sounds like it's in my kitchen. So, for your benefit, one day I decided to turn on a microphone during breakfast. It's not creepy if I'm recording in my own house, right? Anyway. I'll never get tired of that. (laughs) That one's a little more boutique than normal, too. It's a little more bouncy. And if you were wondering, like I was what it would sound like with an explosion behind it. Good to see you, Sam. What's up, buddy? I'm just gonna go for the hug. Doing the creepy thing where I record us at the doorway. Oh, nice. I don't know that it would be creepy if you didn't tell me. I met Sam Reich while making music for College Humor starting in 2008, working on things like rap songs, traditional scoring, or a parody of West Side Story, which Sam wrote and directed. Website Story. Pandora, I just found a site called Pandora. I'm suddenly equipped like I'm hanging out at hipster bars. Pandora, type it in and there's music. Sam has had a very interesting career path. Briefly, his background is in theater. In 2004, he co-founded Dutch West, one of the earliest comedy groups doing internet video. And in 2006, he was hired by College Humor, of which he is currently the president of original content. 
I was particularly excited to talk to Sam because any creative work is certainly a mix of art and business, but he lives in a sort of extreme version of this in that there are real stakes in running video for College Humor. They make roughly 20 videos a month, have literally billions of views, and have won over a dozen Webby Awards. A lot of comedy writers, actors, filmmakers, and advertisers count on him and the team to keep things up and running. I hate Evite. There's nothing in emails, and you have to click through to the site. Sam stopped by my studio, and we recorded this conversation as a gentle little Armenian breeze wafted in through the window. I began by accidentally turning off the recorder, but fortunately we caught it pretty quick and I restarted by interrupting Sam mid-sip of water. To read about me later on your well, I guess we inadvertently edited all of that out. Um, Sam Reich, good to see you. Oh, go. It's great to be here, Carl. Thank you so much for having me. You are a writer, director, and run video for College Humor. What first drew you to creating things in general? Um, the first thing that leaps to mind is Monty Python. I was introduced to Monty Python at a really young age. I think before most people were because my mother is British. You know, I think I must have started watching it maybe at the age of like six or seven. Most people think of Monty Python as being pretty cerebral, but as a kid, all of that was over my head. I think what attracted me so much to it was here were adults being like fundamentally silly for an audience at large, and everyone seemed to be able to appreciate it. Were your parents into it as well? Yeah, my mom. <laughs> yeah, my mom was really into it, yeah. And I think delighted that I was into it. My parents met in Oxford uh, auditioning for the same play. Oh, wow. My mom, when she met my dad, said she thought he was a hobbit. Um, <laughs> that was the initial attraction was, it was a J.R.R. Tolkien. Fortunately, she was into hobbits. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And, you know, my dad is this, like, really showy personality. I mean, when he does talk shows and stuff like that, it's performance. A little context here. Sam's dad is a political economist and was actually Clinton's Secretary of Labor. However, he began as a teacher and writer, so definitely a mix of creative and executive. In my mind, a pretty interesting parallel to what Sam does. Speaking of what got me into this, I remember watching my dad in a talent show at the Kennedy School where he was teaching at the time at Harvard, also around the age of six or seven. And he just killed it. I mean, he did a bit with a friend where he was the quote unquote prime minister of Bulgaria, which isn't an actual country. And the bit was <laughs> the friend would ask him these like really politically correct questions. And my dad would speak in gibberish, but clearly being very offensive right. like through his mannerisms. And then his translator would be stuck translating and like have to turn whatever he said into political correctness. And it was like 50% improvised and just kill it. I mean, I was surrounded by a lot of that growing up. A lot of cues that this might be a fun career, just nobody telling me that I could actually do it. asked Sam if the changing contexts of his career, from theater to Dutch West to college humor, 
have affected his relationship to creative work over time. If anything, I feel like the need has become more urgent, not less urgent. Now my job is probably like half executive, half creative. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not careful, the executive half will eat and eat and eat into the creative side. Right. And so <laughs> I have to defend the, the want to create more than ever before. Mm -hmm. Actually, a lot more than I did when I had ample free time. I spent five or six years looking for the opportunity to create, to be in this kind of seat right. and where I'd have the means to create anything. And now that I have the means, I have to be disciplined about taking advantage of it. I mean, it's so much easier to write 25 emails than it is a script. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but please don't ever call. I also asked about balancing the demands of the company while still making work they can be proud of. It's definitely a balance. I mean, I probably work most intimately with the writers than with any other group, than with the producers or the editors. They're doing the writing and I'm guiding the writing. And I'm trying to leave them as alone uh, and autonomous as possible. While at the same time, I'll occasionally get as specific with them as to change a line. And that's a very delicate balance. Right. Like one of my best friends and an incredible writer named Ben Joseph, who uh, was full-time with us until two years ago, calls it a light hand. The light hand is the, is the best kind of influence that you can have right. on your writers. Because ultimately, if they're not passionate about the work, and if they don't feel like they really own the work, then the work's no good. At the same time as, I occasionally have to say, probably most of all, there's no audience for this. Like, mm -hmm. this may be funny to you, and this might even be funny to me, but yeah. no one gives a shit. That's, like, the hardest, especially when the room erupts with laughter about something, a fundamentally stupid idea that we're all excited about doing because it would be so delightfully idiotic right. to do. And there's just no good reason to do it. Dude, I'm sorry. of your work is collaboration, whether that's in a writer's room, like you were saying, or on a set. And I was talking in a previous episode with my friend Patrick, one of the most important things to him is making this atmosphere that's fun and friendly, but also very focused because, you know, there's a lot of things writing on getting a shoot done on time. Are there certain approaches or tricks you try to use just to keep things on track? I mean, by the time a script leaves the room, and this is a little bit more process oriented, but it's mm -hmm. on the way, a producer or a coordinator or a production person is a soldier for the material. They don't have to be very funny. It's helpful if they are, especially when like they need to adapt to know like what the funnier option is. And then an editor needs to be funny, but an editor's job is also more cut and dry than a writer's because a writer is blue skying. A writer can bring anything into into mm -hmm. being. So in the writing room, how do we keep focused? One short answer to that would be we don't really. <laughs> uh, we I, well, the room is kind of a safe zone. So right. the idea is that we can get a little bit off track. People can pitch 
an idea or a half an idea or a leaping off point, someone could come into the room saying, I think we should do a video about X. And that's not really an idea, but they're, they're leaning on the rest of the room to be able to support them. And we'll talk and we'll laugh and we'll get off track. And some of my favorite ever ideas are the ones that resulted from getting completely off track. But then the writers leave the room and me and Pat decide what their assignments are going to be. And by the time that email goes out, you know, these are the things you're working on this week. It's become very official. This is what you're to write. Your deadline is this Thursday for the read-through. You basically, uh, you are being sure that in the writer's room it's this place where people can play. There's not, it's not being recorded. (laughs) You know, it's not going to be critiqued by the higher-ups or whatever. So is it tricky to shift gears all of a sudden once a meeting ends? And now we have to decide something because that's how this works. (laughs) You know, it's fun. In that sense, like, email always feels like this completely other person that I play in the flesh hopefully I'm very approachable and in the room the more laughter the better because where there's laughter there's that feeling of like warmth and openness and support Mm -hmm. by the time that email goes out I'm like a drill instructor you know what I mean (laughs) it's like just a totally different me and that is that's a violent change in gears right I was at a panel where one of the showrunners for Modern Family was talking about how your typical showrunner is at once a sensitive creative type and also a corporate executive Right. And how sociopathic that can feel. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, it really can. Right. And not to be brash about it because this sounds kind of terrible. And like, I don't think about this often. Mm -hmm. But last night, for instance, I was out with coworkers dancing Mm -hmm. until 1.30 in the morning. And like next week, I have to like judge them based on their work. Right. That feels a little... uh, Snaky. Yeah. Reptilian. <laughs> if it's to make your ex jealous, that's okay too. I'll make light to favorites of your projects are ones that you've co-created with your very funny wife, Elaine Carroll, such as Very Mary Kate and Precious Plum. Do you feel it's important to set boundaries as far as when you work and when you don't, especially when your co-writer is your wife? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. Uh, (laughs) She'll shake me up at 3 a.m. and tell me a joke. It's funny, yeah. Those boundaries just sort of naturally occur. It's probably helpful that the work is as hard as it is for us. We're joking all the time, but we're not writing all the time. Sitting down and writing a script is a really disciplined exercise, and we don't find ourselves falling into that Mm -hmm. in in the course of our dynamic. Right. We've been together forever, right? We've been Mm -hmm. together since we were 16. Yeah. Since I was 16, and she was 18. Cradle robber. Uh... (laughs) But we're still relatively young, and we're not totally sure that we want to have kids because we just really like creating stuff together. From the moment we met, even as teenagers, we were like, well, we want to be artists for the rest of our lives. That was something that really, that lifestyle kind of attracted us to each other. Because we've only been writing together for the last maybe four or five years Mm -hmm. of our, uh, what, 13 or 14 year long relationship. 
So, I mean, we would do a bit of collaborating, but we only started writing with each other intensely on Very Merry Kate. And I always equate it to like our swing dancing or a hobby that a married couple takes on because they want spice in their relationship. It's like, <laughs> well, we've been together for so long uh-huh. and we only have a cat. So maybe this would be a fun exercise in like being intimate with each other. It adds to our relationship much more than it takes away. It's made us closer to each other. It's Mm -hmm. made us funnier around each other. It's been great. Creating anything, especially writing or a script, it's just hard, right? So I had to imagine that you're going through the same struggle together. Well, it's stressful, Mm -hmm. but we're such fundamentally different types of people. I mean, like, (laughs) I will stress out, Mm -hmm. and... Elaine won't. When we're writing together, too, we're fulfilling very different roles in the writing process. I'm all structure and she's all jokes. Like, Mm -hmm. she can joke like nobody's business. And sometimes, sometimes, (laughs) has, like, no idea how to put those jokes in an order that makes sense on paper. I will get stuck on a joke for a full half hour. But on the other hand, putting it in a structure that makes sense is second nature to me. That's why writers' rooms are very helpful, I imagine, for yeah. just getting through an idea. Absolutely. It's so valuable. Uh-huh. It's so valuable. And why so many of our best scripts are written in pairs. Because mm. how do you know what's funny if no one's there to laugh at your joke? Right. You know? <laughs> like, I can understand writing drama or, or even composing solo, but joke writing solo, is it just seems like the hardest thing in the world. Recipe for insanity, potentially. Yeah, or second-guessing yourself and third-guessing yourself. Huh. Like, is this other joke funny? Is this funnier? I mean, yeah. writing, at least my relationship with Elaine, is turning to her and going, is this better? And her saying no. And I'm like, okay, good. Besides working with other people and attacking problems together, are there any other things you do that you feel help you stay inspired, like long term? Yeah, well, I mean, I watch a lot. I don't know how necessary that is, but I just, I love media. I, uh, throughout the day, will save articles and videos and anything to Instapaper, and then at night I'll go in the tub in my bathtub with my iPad and like go through it all. So the last like half hour of my day is this massive media consumption. Comedy soaking ritual. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not just comedy. That's Um, so healthy though, because I uh, bookmark stuff and I watch it in like little random breaks. But I think it's great if you're in like a zone where you're completely relaxed, you're not like in the middle of a stressful day or something. Because then you're really paying attention. Yeah. And the bath for that. Like, I, I take so many baths. It's, it's stupid. You smell great, by the way. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm, you know what? I may not be very funny or ever very successful, but damn, am I clean. <laughs> um, I don't find a lot of inspiration in comedy. Mm-hmm. I think that's true for a lot of comedy people. I watch a very few comedies on TV because it's what I'm doing all day. Mm-hmm. And I, I tend to want to source inspiration from other types of things. So I watch plenty of drama and, you know, I read books and I watch movies. Mm-hmm. But I, I try to stay a little away from short form comedy because my fear is that it'll influence what I do a little bit too much. I'd rather tune yeah. out what everybody else is doing in my space just so that I can feel a little bit more original
lot of your job is making tons of decisions, answering all these emails, writing all these scripts, <laughs> and also like still being friendly and respectful of everyone you're working with. How do you stay in control of all this? When you just have a tidal wave of things coming at you, do you block out your schedule in certain ways? Do you say one hour emails, 30 minutes meeting, one hour game show shoot with his duck? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is it. This is it, right? Like, this is the hardest thing of all. Even you must feel it to an extent. That's why I'm asking you for help. <laughs> What programs do you use? What are what is your what tabs do you have Ooh. open at once that you feel responsible for managing? I'm always trying to improve this, mm-hmm. but I have like Google Calendar. I use a lot. Like I have a bunch of different. Google at this calendar. point, I rambled on for a while about scheduling, but I do want this podcast to focus on other people's insights, since mine will undoubtedly seep through as seasoning. But to briefly answer his question, most of my life is in a Word document and outline view. This means I can have a project with up to nine levels of steps, notes, etc. that I can collapse and expand very quickly with keyboard shortcuts or the mouse wheel. So it's really easy to zoom in and zoom out on all your projects and move things around. I think this sort of basic outline is amazing for brainstorming, but maybe not perfect for me as a task list because it's very easy to start overthinking how you organize within it. Gmail is my main email app and I follow something called Inbox Zero as best I can. I also use Google Calendar extensively. The main one I have is my do or die calendar, which are things I'm very committed to. Granted, if you're a freelancer, you have to be flexible if a sudden and important gig comes in, but I really try not to waver when something is on there. This keeps it from getting cluttered and overwhelming and also makes me take it more seriously. Anyway, I will undoubtedly elaborate uh, about all this more in the future, but let's get back to Sam. I guess my approach, I'm giving you a very rambling answer because I don't have an exact science on it, to try and schedule the things that are truly important to me, not black out my whole week, and then leave a lot of open space for the things that are going to come up that I have to do. But yeah, what what have you found? What works for you? Yeah, no, I, I identify with that the idea of a calendar that really represents only what's most important which gives you the flexibility to be spontaneous exactly it's like the terrain of your week basically yeah yeah when i got started sort of doing comedy professionally it was still two years before i took ucb classes and Mm -hmm. i remember being in 201 at ucb going like holy shit i can't believe that i have been doing comedy for this long thinking of myself as a professional and not knowing these rules or this process. Mm -hmm. And recently, really the last six months, I read this book that a coworker recommended me, Sam Sparks, called Getting Things Done. Have you heard about this book? I could talk about Getting Things Done for like three hours. I've been on it. you got? I've been on it for over five years now. Whoa. Why? We should have spent the whole time talking about this. If you want to completely derail a conversation with me, mention getting things done. I'm sure I'll talk about it more in the future on this podcast, but in a nutshell, it outlines a method of keeping things out of your head and in a system that you trust. So that way you're not using mental energy worrying about things and you can focus solely on the work and the people in front of you at any given moment. I don't think it's for everyone because it does take a lot of discipline, but generally I'm a big fan. Uh, we should talk about this for a little bit. It's profound. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's very profound. And I can't believe that I've spent so long trying to be a even a quasi-executive without knowing some of these basics. So right now, and this gets so molecular, but I have three things. Basically apps that I'm using at all times. My 
email and my calendar and my task list. I actually, I used a task list for a long time, but it was mostly impulsive, writing things down on a sheet of paper or using uh, an app called Clear, which is like very minimalist and cool. At a certain time, I felt like Clear wasn't doing it for me. I actually wanted my task list to run my life more rather than my email, certainly, because email is complete bullshit. You can spend so long on email without really getting anything done. Or my calendar, which represented meetings that I had, but not necessarily my own impulses. And so my task list has become predominantly what I'm looking at at all times. And I keep it in Trello. Have you ever heard of Trello? I have not. So I'll, I'll show it to you, maybe, <laughs> after we're done with this. But I'm constantly shuffling stuff around between columns. What I'm to do today what's coming up, set up with a sort of a tickler system where I can postpone things or add dates to things and then they'll rise to the surface. Right, right. And then someday, and then whatever projects I'm working on, and then also a few other smatterings of categories that might embarrass me. I mean, and then I have a whole other Trello for food. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Priorities. I asked Sam more about his strategy for wrangling a million inputs to allow him to stay socially aware and present for people who look to him for direction. I mean, the piece about getting things done that I really appreciate is this idea that you should put it all out in a system so that it's not in your head, so that you can be fundamentally present and available for people. Yes. That, right there, is the fundamental tenet of GTD. The way in which the system has failed me is that it's only resulted in me being more aware of everything I'm not doing. In that sense, there's no substitute at a certain point for just forgetting about it, for trying to be zen, for meditating, for not thinking about the zillion things that you're supposed to do, because nothing is more important than the now, right? And I can totally, I can still be a, a dick. I mean, I, especially over email, I try as much as possible not to. But the truth is that And this is not to say, by the way, that any of them are really relevant or even directed at me, but if you're getting just under 400 emails a day, which is where I'm at right now, (laughs) you just have to ignore some stuff. And that's so hard for me. I really want to be professional. Uh, I really want to be on top of my game. But like that could be a full-time job, just responding to all those emails. That's not my job to be a professional email responder. That's really comforting to hear, though. Just, I love getting things done. I went too far in one direction with it, which was I spent so much time tweaking my productivity system that the rest of my life just started (laughs) fading off into this haze. (laughs) You get into this, like, meta world in which your tasks are related to your task list. Oh, God. I also asked Sam if he has any upcoming or recent projects he's particularly excited about. We came out to L.A. to get into long form, right? So Mm -hmm. we have some TV projects that I'm really excited about, some of which have been announced, like this Jake and Amir pilot that we're doing with TBS and the Comedy Music Awards we're doing with IFC, and then some of which haven't been announced and I can't really talk about. Mm -hmm. We did a video celebrating May 4th, which is unofficially Star Wars Day because May the 4th be with you. 
it's been around for a long time, but this is the first uh-huh. time they're like coming out and publicly acknowledging it, and they're collaborating with a bunch of YouTube partners on it. They gave us access to this very professional cantina bar set and cantina alien costumes. And so uh-huh. we did this thing where we have a bunch of musicians auditioning to be a part of the cantina band. We have Ben Folds as a stormtrooper singing about how he regrets killing a Ewok because it was so adorable and it haunts his dreams. And we have Weird Al, Reggie Watts, Liz Fair, Rick Springfield, Chris Daughtry, Jordan Sparks, an incredible list of people. There's nothing like putting videos on the internet, as far as I'm concerned, because there's no buffer between you and your audience. It's Mm. such an incredibly powerful feeling. Yeah. being able to do that as big as this operation gets and hopefully we do expand into TV in a meaningful way mm-hmm. nothing will ever feel as meaningful as that face two we're together like brother little sister and my heart goes whoa whoa every time that I miss you when you're gone I feel sick like girls with a cup but you know I roll like Rick and I'll never give you up And I'm is there anything I should have asked or that you would like to talk about no I'm just interested in hearing more from you about your getting things done experience. We can have a huge, we can have a huge geek session after this. <laughs> um, and in closing, what is the best way for people to keep up with your work? Probably College Humor's YouTube channel. Or you can go to my site, samreich.com, S-A-M-R-E-I-C-H.com, and follow me from there. Great. Well, thanks so much for talking to me, Sam. It's a real treat. Yeah, thanks, girl. It's a lot of fun. Oh, you back. Damn, I miss you, girl. And that was Sam Reich. What a nice guy. I've been checking out Trello since this conversation, and it's pretty promising so far. Very visual, very slick. Thanks, as always, for listening and tolerating this emotionally damaged voiceover. I'll try and watch some upbeat cartoons beforehand next time. Uh, Next episode, I'll be speaking with Grammy-nominated songwriter and producer Rob Kleiner. For more episodes, just look on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, etc. If you have any feedback on the show, I'd love to hear it. You can reach me on Twitter at Sondrol, that's S-O-N-D-R-O-L, or look on timeboxingpod.com. That's also the place to hear more of my film music or music music. Speaking of, the musicians I use on all this stuff are... On vocals, Hawk Coleman, Matt Geiler, Angeline Grogas, and Blaze Morell, Marie Smith, David Vines, Will Wheaton, Kyle Harris, and Lindsay Liberatori. Brittany Seitz was on bassoon, Heather McIntosh on cello, Eleanor Wieger on bass clarinet, Max Crow on guitar, Charissa Brugger on harp, Anthony Bruno on saxophones, Greg Nicolette and Andrew Zelm on trombone, Nick Sednew and Gerard Bailey on trumpet, and Ben Weber on violin and viola. Okay, bye!